This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Welcome to the EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. So let me give you a metaphor to help explain today's topic. So you can have the best, highest quality pair of running shoes that can help you jump faster and run faster and and leap further, the kind of shoes that top athletes would use. It's really the best technology you can get with a rubber sole. But if the shoes are three sizes too big, it won't do you any good. That's what I think of when we're talking about personalized learning platforms. So like the most powerful systems won't teach much of anything if they're tuned for the average student. It's a generalization and that's the problem there. My guest today is Graham Glass, CEO and founder of Cypher Learning. He's a serial entrepreneur, educator, and published author with vast experience in software development and education. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shelby. Thank you very much for inviting me. So before we dive into a little bit more about Cypher Learning, uh, can we talk about your background and what brought you to where you are with Cypher? Yes, I'll be more than happy. So um, my background academically is computer science. So I got my undergraduate degree in computer science from England. Then I came to do my graduate studies in Dallas, Texas. So I always assumed that my future would be something related to software. Then while I was um, doing my uh, PhD program at UT Dallas, uh, I got invited to teach computer science for the university as a senior lecturer. And I had no experience whatsoever in teaching, but I thought that sounds like it would be really good fun. And what I found was uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I I spent a few years teaching computer science at UT Dallas. um, And then I got invited to to teach the same stuff in industry. So I ended up um, founding and, um, and running a professional training organization that was teaching in industry. So... You know, in my early days, I was doing a lot of computer science, but a lot of training. And ultimately, I created a couple more companies, sold the last one. And then I decided, okay, what am I going to do now with the rest of my life? And I decided I'm going to do the intersection of education and computer science. So specifically, I founded Cypher Learning to have the world's best learning platform. So that's how I ended up um, starting Cypher Learning. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Small world. I too attended uh, and graduated from UT Dallas. Uh, Very different tracks, though. Of course, UTD is a renowned um, computer science and electrical engineering school. I, on the other hand, was there for uh, liberal studies, more of a uh, absor- absorbing the genius around me. So it's funny that that path took you to Dallas and to teaching. So with that teaching experience, uh, at what point you know, did you start to get that inkling that there needed to be some better uh, solutions for, for training? Like, what was it like at that time? Yeah, well, th- those are in the days where there was, you know, the internet was just starting. I think Google was about to go public, so it was quite early days. And I was teaching um, a topic called Unix. And, uh, and I created some really good notes on how to teach Unix. And I remember thinking to myself, if only there was a really good internet-based platform, I could upload all of my materials and then millions of people could take advantage of my knowledge of Unix rather than the 100 people in front of me. 
So even in those early days, I was thinking about how do you scale teaching to millions of people. But unfortunately, in those days, there was no product like our Cypher Learning platform. So in the end, I, I ended up converting it into a book. Um, it was actually a best-selling book through Prentice Hall, but it was still a huge amount of effort and limited reach compared with what you could have done on the web. That's an interesting idea to think of, the difference between almost a one-to-one or one-to, you know, maybe a hundred uh, scale when you're teaching somebody to literally millions on the internet that you can reach. What were the challenges in trying to scale for everybody? I mean, as I mentioned in the entrance, you know, the very best tool uh, can only work if it's a little bit more customized. So how did you start to uh, get the idea that this needed to be customized for the student? Yeah, that, that's a great question because I know in those days, you know, before there was any kind of really good web-based platform, I used to do a lot of one-on-one teaching. And I remember going to my to my UTD office hours and I'd have a whole line of students and every student would have their own strengths and weaknesses, their own set of questions. And I found myself over time offering specific advice based on the profile of the student. So for example, if somebody had a problem in one area of Unix, I would know, well, here's a really good supplementary book or here's a really good video or here's an exercise. So I created my own kind of um, set of rules that I would use for how to help people in a personalized way. So at the time, of course, there was nothing available on the web. So it was, I didn't really have any options, but I do remember thinking if there was something good on the web, it really needs to have the ability to set aside rules so that each individual student gets individualized recommendations. And I think that's maybe the difference between a more DIY approach to education versus a learning platform, would you say? I would say certainly for a personalized learning platform. So there's a lot of learning platforms out there these days, um, you know, various degrees of of quality. But I think that the the direction of the industry um, is going to be towards more and more personalization of the of the learning experience. And so, you know, my company's been doing a lot of work in that area. We've got some, you know, very cool. Um, approaches to solving that problem. But a lot of them really were informed by my own experience of providing personalized teaching in the you know, academic environment at UT Dallas. So in your, your work to, uh, to create this platform and recognizing the need for personalization, uh, what were some of the, what was some of the research or some of the, uh, the, the elements that went into being able to create a platform for so many different types of students? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two particular things that we had to, to bear in mind, which is we have a lot of futuristic ideas about where we think personalized learning is going. But from a pure commercial perspective, when you, when you respond to an RFP from a large bank or from a large university, you will see literally perhaps a thousand feature requirements before you even get to personalized learning. So what we quickly realized is that we have to have a world-class traditional feature set before we really have the luxury of uh, focusing our entire company on the future. Um, So that's what we've been able to do with our platform. We've got a world-class feature set, but it's already incorporating a lot of very cool dynamic features for personalization. And I'm more than happy to go through some of the approaches that we're using specifically for personalization. Yeah, I'd love to understand that process because that kind of seems like when you get into personalization, it's almost like 
calculating all the different permutations of something. It seems like it'd be kind of infinite. So how did that process go? Well, so personalization is kind of a, a spectrum. So in the very early days, the kind of personalization that people typically wanted would be, I'm in a classroom environment. I can see that Sally is getting bored because she needs some more advanced work. So I would create an advanced module, click on it and say, only make this visible to Sally. So that's the that's the the simplest form of personalization is done manually by the instructor based on personal knowledge of the student and say providing them with some advanced material or some advanced assessments. And, and we've had that that particular feature for you know four, four years. It's not really very advanced. But as I mentioned, one of the things that I oftentimes did in my own courses would say if somebody's falling behind in a particular area automatically um, start giving them some more advanced materials. So we're really into something called uh, competency-based learning, which is the ability to not just simply give, say someone, hey, you've got a B, but to track based on how they interact with assessments, which specific areas they're good at and which they're not good at. So for example, if I was teaching computer science, I might have a competency map, which includes knowledge of, of multi-threading, and if somebody does a particular assessment and they get a low grade in multi-threading, then, then our platform can automatically note that. So we've had that feature for several years, but one thing that we added was using a rules engine to be able to tell the platform, and this is not in programming in terms of, this is more like through the user interface to say, if somebody is falling behind in this particular competency for more than two days, then automatically unlock the following content. So what you would do is you would prepare as an instructor a whole set of content, some for very advanced uh, users, some for you know people who are falling behind, and then set up a collection of rules in the rules engine triggered by various circumstances that would automatically lock uh, or unlock certain advanced materials. Um, and I think we're the, actually the only platform that I'm aware of that, that does that right now. But we've made that really, really easy for um, any teacher to, um, to to teach our system. The manual approach, if you will, to this uh, would have been almost prohibitive to, to be able to create all of these uh, lessons on demand to be able to supplement uh, the students that are advancing in one area uh, in terms of a more advanced study versus a more remedial uh, approach. How... Uh, I guess, how great were the efforts uh, with your team to be able to uh, to tap into all of the all of the knowledge to create all of this content? Well, so we don't personally create content. We're a platform provider. So the content, whether it's, you know, Unix in the world of computer science or whether it's ballet or whether it's how to run a bank, those are, those materials are all uploaded by our customers. Some of those customers might purchase the material through a third party. Some of them will create it themselves. What we do is that we provide the ability to tag that content with the proficiencies that it represents to create very rich sets of um, assessments to be able to assess those companies, um, competencies, and then to provide the rules so that the, the content that they've either purchased or uploaded get locked or unlocked um, at the appropriate time. Is the effectiveness of the learning platform, though, directly connected to the quality of the material? And in terms of that, I mean the breadth of 
the material? Have they uploaded enough different lessons to unlock? Or or if a is does a pretty slim uh, upload mean a pretty slim experience? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's going to be a correlation between the the quality of the material and uh, how effective it is. And you know, in our particular case, we, we're used in 40 different languages in over 100 countries. There's absolutely no way for us to ever actually create content for right. a massive, massive range of customers. So, you know, I mean, one of the things that um, that we're doing is we're allowing third-party catalogs to be published into our system from which you can select quality content. But the best quality content normally is not free. And there's a lot of financial pressure on, on schools to, you know, to try and save money. So I don't really know how many schools would even purchase that content um, uh, in the first place. That being said, though, I mean, we, you know, we anecdotally have seen fantastic content uploaded by uh, by teachers. And we've also seen teachers who use our system simply as a grading book and nothing more. So the best that we can really do at this point is to create a rich set of tools and and just to let the <laughs> let the teachers decide which particular of those tools they, they want to use. But we definitely made it really, really easy to use, which um, I think is a key factor. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you bring that up because that's, you know, depending on the the industry that we're talking about, if we're talking about the classroom, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about ed tech and getting the teachers, that those veteran teachers uh, comfortable with the technology that's available. The amount of technology can be a little bit dizzying. So at the very, very base level, a personalized learning platform uh, delivery system, I guess, is the start of maybe that entire digital classroom, if you will. So how important is it that it becomes intuitive and easy for teachers to use? Yeah, this is an area that I have particularly strong opinions about. One thing I want to mention about Cypher Learning is that, and this is does distinguish us from a lot of um, other learning platform companies, is that because of my experience teaching at UT Dallas and because of my experience in the world of corporations, I decided on day one that we were going to create a single platform and have branded versions for both um, schools and universities, a separate branded version for businesses, and a separate branded version for individuals. So that's why we have Neo for schools, Matrix for businesses, and Indie for individuals. And interestingly enough, the, the market sector, which has the highest um, expectation with regards to ease of use, is the business market, not the not through K through 20 market. And so if you want to have a world-class learning platform in the world of business, you've really got to have a beautiful user interface. And whereas, you know, one of the things that's a bit frustrating to me personally is I think the user interfaces of a majority of, of LMSs for K through 20 are abysmal. Um, and businesses would never, ever use them. They're just so poor and unintuitive. So, so there's been a lot of market pressure on us to have a really beautiful user interface as well as a rich feature set. And so every time we make an improvement, it goes into our Cypher Learning platform, which is automatically enjoyed by all of our users in all of our market sectors. So we've had some people use Neo and say, this is almost like the Apple of LMSs because it's so beautiful. And so it's a bit frustrating to me because I do see teachers using some of these clunky user interfaces and it, and so they get a bad initial experience of EdTech where it really does not have to be that way. 
Right. Well, and also I think uh, they also get a bad, I don't want to say reputation, but you know, there is so much pressure on teachers to adopt all of the technology they possibly can. And if they're uh, working on a system that is is unintuitive and clunky, as much as, as school districts say that they're not being graded on it, there is that pressure that they need to be able to master that that technology, however good or bad it is, uh, in the classroom for their success. And so uh, you, you do raise a very good point that if the business sector wouldn't accept a, a product like this, why should the classrooms have to? Yeah, yeah, and it, and, it, and it is a shame. And so I think the K through 20 market sector in general is, is quite underserved in terms of um, beautiful, powerful products. So you've said that there are kind of three critical elements to a successful learning platform. It's student-defined goals, recommendations, and progress assessment. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, why those three elements in particular are the, the key to success with LMSs? So I think that's the key to success for um, personalized learning platforms. I don't think that's necessarily the key to success for a traditional LMS. But when people talk about... Um, true personalized platforms, um, generally what they're talking about is the idea that a student logs into the system, the system knows what the student's learning goals are, and it helps them towards those goals. And that is not, not the way that a majority of universities and schools are structured, by the way. So a majority of schools and structures are oriented around classes and grades. And you can't go to school, for example, and just say, well, today I want to learn X because that's my personal learning goal because, hey, well, that's just, sorry, that's not on your curriculum. So, so what we found out was is that you, you have to still support the traditional course-oriented features of a learning platform because a majority of customers you know, still think that way. But we are also working with some much more innovative districts and, and businesses where rather than saying you're going to take a particular course, they'll say, here are the competencies that we want you to get good at this semester. So what you would do is that you would work with your mentor, you would have a whole set of competencies, and those competencies could be anything from biology grade three, it could be a single competency like um, photosynthesis, it might even be my goal is to, is to learn all the things necessary for me to become an astronaut. But if that's the case, then when you log into a learning management system that's designed to support this, not only would you see traditional courses that you're enrolled in on your dashboard, but you would also see goals as tiles on your dashboard. Um, so for example, in, in all the, the prototypes that we're working on, because this functionality is coming out early next year, you would see on your dashboard a new tile, which is your goal is to become really good at grade two biology. And when you click on that, the system knows all the competencies that you need to master in order to master that overall goal, and we'll show you the status of all of those competencies there on your dashboard. And the general idea is once the system knows what competencies that you want to get good at, it can then start making recommendations on various ways to get good at it. So for example, if one of those competencies in grade two biology was photosynthesis, then the system might know, well, there's a video on YouTube which can teach you that. There's Mrs. Jones biology class that can teach you that. There is a really good book you can do. So not only can it start making you personalized recommendations, but it can also track how effective those recommendations were over time. So if you click on, if, if you say 85% of people who got the recommendation to watch this video, watch the video 
And then the next time they took a randomized quiz, they scored higher, then we know that that particular video is quite effective. So hopefully that's given you a little idea that, that in a true learning, uh, personalized learning environment, um, the concept of goals is a first class concept on your dashboard. And once the system knows the goals, it can start making you recommendations on how to achieve that. Right. Well, and that's that's applicable to really any, I guess I would say, you know, goal setting is often the key to success. I mean, if you are progressing, doing things and learning things and uh, taking in information without a goal in mind, a destination, if you will, then you're like setting out on your in your car uh, driving without a map. You don't know where you're going. Yeah, and also having this the concept of um, real-time goals allows just-in-time learning as well. So, for example, I could I might not even be taking biology in a particular semester, but if as a learner I can say, hey, I want to learn about photosynthesis, I could actually then just create, add a goal, select photosynthesis, it appears on my dashboard, I immediately start get, getting recommendations, click in a video, take a quiz, it says, hey, you've achieved mastery in this competency, then I'm done. That, that might have nothing to do with the fact that this semester I'm not taking biology. It just means the platform now is becoming uh, a more effective way to learning than just going into Google and typing photosynthesis. Um, and the reason it's better is because it's tracking recommendations, it's tracking your competency that might be useful for your internal analytics for the school district. Um, it's, it's giving you recommendations based on actual effectiveness, and it's allowing you to self-assess on how well you mastered it. None of which of those things are built into Google or YouTube, as an example. Right. I don't know if this is a silly question, but I guess when you're thinking about maybe almost a just a plain consumer model, I mean, it seems like a lot of times when uh, you want to find something out, you just go on the internet and find out. You read, you know, read articles and books and uh, watch videos and basically just kind of put together your own education. And in your right, there is no assessment for that. Uh, so, in a pure uh, consumer sense, for this type of uh, learning platform. If uh, you were to use it, are you able to, I guess, put um, levels to the amount of competency that you want? So say that you are that that English student that is interested in uh, photosynthesis. They don't need to have a, a mastery level of that, but they are curious enough to be able to, to dip their toe into it. Uh, is that personalized as well? Yeah, so, the, so we have various algorithms, a lot of which are industry standard for calculating your competency. And calculating the competency in something normally involves um, a whole set of uh, measurements. So when you take a particular quiz and you take you get enough questions in that particular competency, you can start to kind of narrow down and say, yeah, this person seems to be about 80 or 90%. But our system also allows direct manual um, self-evaluation. So somebody might say, well, I know that I'm really good at this, so I don't even want to, I don't even want to be quizzed on it. Uh, we support um, peer evaluation. So in the business setting, it might be your boss saying, yeah, you know, Graham, you're really good at um, interviewing people and I'm just going to mark that as a, a great competency. So, um, so figuring out someone's mastery means getting lots of measurements. Those measurements can take a lot of different forms and we're supporting all of those different kinds of measurements. So when you go to a dashboard, you would see you're currently rated at 90%, but you can say why and it will say, well, here are the five measurement types. Here is how they're weighted. Here's your current um, competency rating. 
Fantastic stuff. As we start to wrap up, um, I want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to uh, to be sure to understand or take away from this episode? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'd like to point out is that the idea of personalized competency-based learning has actually been around a long time in traditional, in some schools. So for example, there's the, the Swedish system um, called knowledge schools, uh, which actually follow this approach. You have a mentor that you can work with they, they create a whole series of competencies that, um, that you try to, to master. And then it's up to the student whether they read books, watch videos, go to lectures to achieve those competencies. So obviously our goal is to make this available to the masses, uh, make it available in a very nice way. But I do think it's important to realize that this whole idea of personalized competency-based learning has been done manually for at least 10 to 20 years in some schools. And it's becoming now easier and more accessible for everybody. Exactly. Graham, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Great. Thanks a lot. It's been good fun.